0: It's good to see those of you that are here by 9.30 and um, the second shift comes in in 20 minutes and so um, that is always a, a fun time in the spring together and so thank you um, for being here and for worshiping, just a, a blessed time of worship this morning. Now what if I was to come in and say today that um, the Lord has been putting on my heart a new way to do ministry at Village. And that to get that property next door, we're going to take all of our, our tithes and offerings today, and um, the, the pastors and I are going to go to Vegas tomorrow. We're going to go all in on black, and we're going to see, see if this is God's will for us to get that property. <laughs> what, what was that? What's hard to... And this is definitely God's will for our church. What would you say to me? No, no, no bye. <laughs> what is wrong? It's a new work of God. You know, it's not like I'm asking for a new jet for the Pastor Ron Foundation or anything like that, which was like what, a couple of years ago. No, so, so that would have some red flags, right? Rightfully so. We'd get into some biblical content of stewardship and and a number of things that we could go to, but that would be some red flags of, okay, maybe God's not part of that work. Maybe that's something you've made up because you want a trip to Vegas or whatever whatever that reason is. Now, over the last few years, we have examples of another way where we've come in and said, we think that the Holy Spirit is, is asking us to do a living nativity. And you guys have all got on board with that. What's the difference? amen brother one's biblical and one isn't thank you so much um yeah so so there's different things that we would use to evaluate that one's biblical and one isn't one there's confirmation within the people of god that okay maybe that god is leading us this direction and and the other i don't think there's very much confirmation to the vegas idea and so that's just a, a silly idea that isn't going to work and and so we have all of these dilemmas of how do we see where God is working and how isn't we, how isn't he and we've seen examples of that like i said with living nativity with second harvest with project touch and and when we brought awana back and just some of the ways that we're like we think God is leading this way we think God is working this way and and so let's explore that and see if he is but yes there are things that we could explore that would definitely be not in in scripture That would definitely be unbiblical and things that we couldn't, should not pursue. And so we come to that, that discussion this morning as last week and the last two weeks we saw God working on Peter's heart and getting past some of Peter's barriers to ministering to the Gentiles and, and suddenly Peter's with Cornelius and his whole household and servants and friends all come to the Lord, right? And the Holy Spirit clearly fell on them, which means the Gentiles were clearly believers. And again, for us, in our Western mindset, we've we've got to put on a different set of glasses. For us, we're like, that's no big deal. Of course Gentiles can be saved. But in the start of the church, for the Jewish church, that was revolutionary. That was like, what is God doing? And, And in this case, this was something that God himself was part of. God himself was directing. Because there there easily could be people that would be like, that's not God, that's like the Vegas trip. Really? Really? Is that what God's doing? And, and so God's been, he, he worked through the Holy Spirit, He worked through visions with Peter and Cornelius and clearly did a work that was from God. But where we come to our text today, God has convinced Peter, but now Peter has to go back to the church in Jerusalem. People that weren't there, people that didn't see what God was doing, and he has to talk to them and convince them that this is a work of God. And then as he does that and as the church embraces God's work, we're going to see God's work explode in new ways. In new ways that may be like Living Nativity, maybe like the Vegas trip. How do you tell the difference? And we're going to see how the early church handled that this morning. So turn with me to Acts chapter 11. We'll be at Acts chapter 11. We'll do 30 verses today, the whole chapter, as we look at both Peter going back to the church at Jerusalem and then a brand new church starting in Antioch in ways that, that are quite extraordinary. Acts chapter 11, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 30. The, the summary of the chapter, if you had to take the whole chapter together, I put at the top of your notes, God's new work to the Gentiles is questioned and then embraced by the Jerusalem church, allowing the gospel to spread to Jews and Gentiles in Antioch, which became the hub for Gentile missions. A lot there. It sort of steps through the chapter or paragraph by paragraph, scene by scene. But basically, the church is embracing God's work and God's work is going to explode to the rest of the world because of this. And so this is a fabulous passage, part of the Cornelius story, which is a hinge point in Acts where the gospel is for everyone. And God wants, wants people to know that the gospel and salvation and forgiveness is for everyone. And so we come to chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. And the first setting, the first story here is verses 1 through 18. The church, to embrace God's work, they have to accept God's work, even if it's out of their paradigm. And, and as we talk through this, we'll look at the story of Cornelius and, and Peter and the church. But chances are, most of us don't have a problem with Gentiles being at church. Most of us are Gentiles at church. And so, so sometimes we can look at this passage, and this is the whole prescriptive and descriptive discuss, discussion. We can look at the passage and say, that doesn't apply to us. We don't have that issue. Or we can look at the passage and say, what's the bigger picture here? How can we be embracing God's work even if it's out of our paradigm, even if it's, if it's something we're not used, used to? And so I want to look at those, those broader principles as we go through the details historically of what happened. And so to embrace God's work, the first thing we see is we have to accept God's work even if it is out of our paradigm, even if it's something that we've never done it that way before which can be one of the ways that we stop new ministry after new ministry after new ministry. We've never done it that way before. But the, the early church was faced with a, a huge change and trusting Peter and Peter's description of that change. And so we come to verses 1-3 through three and we'll sort of step through this like a, a story. The first thing that happens is their criticism. There's criticism. We read verse 1, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them? Really? Okay, I added the, the really. But, but get the picture here. This is an a incredible moment in Peter's ministry. He has just seen the Holy Spirit Actively fall on a new group of people that previously he thought was excluded from all this, and he is on this spiritual high. Look what God has done. And he comes back to the church at Jerusalem, and you would expect, let's praise God, let's, let's, let's all celebrate together. But there's this group, group it says of the circumcision party, and, and literally, it, it means those that are Jewish by birth, but it probably is a little narrower. It's probably not all the Jews that are upset, but some sort of group that really believes to become a Christian, you have to become a Jew. And so they would hold that you have to proselyte into Judaism or as a Jew, and then you could be accepted into the church of God. If you're male, that means you have to be circumcised. You have to follow all of the traditions and things like that. And so there was a group, and, and they would call themselves—they would have called themselves the very conservative group in the church—that of course you have to do these things to, to be a believer. And so for them to hear that Peter witnessed to, to non-believers, that the, the gospel fell on them, and, and or the gospel was received by them, the Holy Spirit fell on them, this would have been beyond what they could even imagine. And in fact, being raised with all the things we've talked about the last couple of weeks with the food issues and, and they're unclean, thinking Gentiles are unclean. If I even enter their house, I'm unclean. I can't eat with them. And on all these, these separations that we saw in, in Old Testament law, although these are a lot of fences beyond that, the, all of the things that, that God had used to keep His people separate in the Old Testament, God Himself has broken down these barriers in the New Testament. And so the, so Peter comes to Jerusalem on this spiritual high and boom, criticism faces him. And that criticism, really interestingly, if you, if you look at it in verse three, you went to uncircumcised men and preached the gospel to them. Well, no, that's not what it says. Uh, Of all the things to criticize, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. How dare you have a meal with them? And, and this is, this is what can so often happen with, when we get a critical spirit. We can focus in on one little weed, and we can forget the forest that we're in. We can we can focus on this minute issue that doesn't matter, and, and so they're not upset that the gospel was shared. It appears we don't know. Maybe there was more to it than that, but they're, they don't. Luke doesn't mention that the gospel was shared, or that they were baptized, or that they received the Holy Spirit. They're acting out of this deep-seated animosity. And not being able to give up the world view that the Gentiles are unclean. The Gentiles are less than. And so they can't get over that he ate with them. Now keep in mind, Peter as the head of the church, took men with him and he's the one that went there and he's the one that's reported what God has done and they can't accept it because it doesn't fit one of the rules that they have. That they think is true. As I look at this and, and where the the criticism was, I think of the words of Jesus in Matthew twenty three, twenty four, when He says to the Pharisees, you blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. You're worried about the tiny thing and you've missed the bigger picture. The Gospel came to a new people. More people are going to be in heaven with Jesus Christ because the Gospel came to them. This is the bigger picture. This is worth celebrating. So Peter comes back to this criticism. Now, now let's just think about Peter for a moment. Peter, what what kind of man was Peter in the Gospel sometimes? A little impetuous sometimes. A little bit, you know, just, just think and act. We're very fortunate that he didn't cut someone's ear off here. You know, who, who knows, but... And it's undeserved criticism. It's unexpected criticism. But Peter has been being sanctified and growing with our Lord. So he doesn't pull out a sword. He doesn't put out a metaphorical sword of his authority and say, I am the head of the church. I am an apostle. It happened. You have to accept it. Instead, what we see in verses 4-18 through is just a beautiful story of how someone brings someone else along. And so he starts by saying, this is what happened. Here's what happened in, in verses 4 through 15. And he explains the details with an honesty and clarity. He's like, okay, I see that you don't understand. Um, here's what happened. Verse 4. But Peter began and explained to them in order, so carefully, and, and hoping that they come to the same conclusion. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and, and we've heard this a couple times for some of this story. Um, And just as an aside, when you see a story repeated or parts of a story repeated three times, that means it's important. That means God is trying in His Word to really show the the value of the story, the importance of the story, for, for us to see what happened in the church and for us to get it and make sure we don't have those same barriers for people. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying And in a trance, I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Go have a barbecue. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and all was drawn up into heaven. And we know at this point, Peter's a little confused what this means. Verse 11, and behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea and the spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. And Peter in the prior story says, that's where it started to to hit him. Oh, the sheet, the the distinctions, I should go. So making no distinction, these six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I begin to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And so he gives a beautiful summary of what had happened in the last two chapters, and and we read that and we're like, yeah, we read that, we studied that, but he's he's telling it for the first time to the church at Jerusalem, and they're hear, hearing all the details. Verse fifteen is is really interesting because he says, and as I begin to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us in the beginning. And last week we talked about that this was this was sort of the Gentile Pentecost. This is where we get that from. Peter himself is saying, he's going back to Pentecost and saying, just like we received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, that's what I saw happen with the Gentiles who, who were believers. And so he's, Peter here is forcefully telling a story that these aren't second-class citizens. They aren't less than. They aren't people to be excluded. The Holy Spirit came on them just like us. There's equality at the cross. There's equality in the family of God. And so he honestly explains the details. He says, here's what happened. Then in verse 16, he goes to, here's what God's Word says. And he he says, these are the circumstances, but here's what the Bible says in in verse 16. And I remembered the Word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that was out of Acts 1.5, right before Jesus ascended into heaven. Jesus says this, and he's, he's telling them that the believers would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so Peter here is using Scripture to say that was Jesus' promise. And it happened to us, which means that was fulfilled in us. And now it's happened to the Gentiles, which means God has come to the Gentiles as well. Along with that, if they were baptized by the Holy Spirit, then of course they're eligible for water baptism and full inclusion into the church. And so he calmly explains what happened. He says, here's what God's Word says. He could have gone to a lot more, but he went to to the words of Christ. And then in verse 17, he says, and and here's how God worked. And I, I love this one, this verse, because he really comes back to, this is the work of God. Verse 17, if then God gave the same gift to them as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ... Who was I that I could stand in God's way? Oh, what, a, what a That's better than cutting off someone's ear. Because he's just explained the circumstances. He showed how God worked. He showed how biblically this was, was told by Jesus that this would happen to believers. And now he says, this was God's way. How can I get in the way of it? And you wonder what the response would be. And so 18... When they heard these things, they fell silent. And, and it's not that they were stunned. The idea is their criticism stopped. They, they, they had nothing else to say because then we get the next phrase, and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles, also God has granted repentance leading to life. And that is such a wonderful response because they heard. They heard that God had worked. They accepted it now because they saw it in Scripture. They saw that it was the hand of God. And they not only just stopped complaining, but they changed to worship. And that's the best way to get over a critical spirit is to start to worship, to start to praise God, to start to look for what God is doing. And they acknowledged then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. They are now a full part of the church. They are now one of us. And so that meant at this point in time, and what it should mean, is that they don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to become Jews to become part of the church. They are part of the church. Now we're going to see that those spiritual traditions of Judaism are very hard to let go of. And some of the times when we're raised with different ways of thinking, it's hard to let go of. And so we're going to see these come up again in Acts 15, and the church is going to wrestle with these again. But for now, for the first incursion of God's work here into the tradition of the church, we see a good response. We see a response of acceptance. Yes, they're going to have to deal with how to coexist with two different cultures. How does this work in the church? But this is a good first step. And I I think of of us, again, we're not dealing with this particular issue of Jew-Gentile but we deal with all kinds of traditions we hold on to. And can we still be in a church where people have different traditions than us? Can we still be in a setting where people believe different things than us on non-essential matters? Or do we divide over these things? And do we embarrass God's church over these things? Or do we come together? When we think of even how church should be done, are we willing to say, okay, God, show us what You want in this situation? Maybe some of our own traditions, maybe some of our own spiritual prejudices, maybe some of those things have to be let go of for God to do a work. And I'm not talking about letting go of Scripture. We're going to get to that in point three. I, I, I'm talking about those extra-biblical things, those add-on things that are not directly said in Scripture. Scripture. What if God's work looks different than we expect? What if a ministry that someone brings up in the church isn't on our standard list of ministries that a church should do? Might we consider it? Might we say, what if? And explore if God is part of that. And this early church was faced with that. Now now understand, this is a huge paradigm shift from how they've been raised. And, and, and I keep saying that because I, I think we struggle to understand how huge this is. But for the church even to stop, or, or even the segment to stop complaining and stop criticizing and praise God, this is a significant step and shows God working in the church at Jerusalem. And the church being open to new ministries, to new people. And what a blessing that is. And so now the scene shifts to a different church, a different setting. And 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 so this setting is now a new work in a different place. Again, mixing Gentiles and Jews, mixing people of different races, mixing people of different backgrounds, which is the beauty of what the gospel does. And so as we come to the the, the first one was accepting how God is working. The second is starting to notice where God is working. Notice what he's doing. And if we're to embrace God's work, we have to be willing to accept that whatever he does is right. And then we have to start looking around and saying, okay, where's God working? In what ways is he working? What ways do we see him working? This is coming to to God and saying, you can make some of our plans instead of here's our ministry plan that you have to follow God. And so it's, it's really, for those that went through um, the Blackerby stuff, um, This had to do with noticing God's work and being aware of where God is working. And so we get to 19 through 21, a different setting. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. And so 19, we're coming back. Remember the scattering we talked about? And God used the persecution of the church to spread believers all over? Now this is saying that also spread up north and that spread beyond Judea. That spread to other places. Verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. Now there's a lot to unpack there and and we'll get to use maps here to understand but a couple of things. In verse 19, they're preaching just to the Jews. 20 is a contrast. And it says, They came to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also. In this case, these Hellenists are Gentiles. They are Greeks. They are people that speak Greek. They are not Jewish in any sort of way. But let's pull up the map and and just have some fun here. So we have Jerusalem down here. This is the, the church where Peter came back to. And this says in in verse 20 that they were scattered, and we know that they were scattered all through Samaria and Judea here. So this is the area that, that really got to hear the gospel. But what we're seeing now is it went a lot further as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Phoenicia is the whole coastline here. And then it got up to Antioch up here. And so it's saying when the Jews were persecuted here, when the church was persecuted, they spread out, yes, through here, but they went all the way up to here. Cyprus over here is another place that they went. And so they they got on the shipping lanes and the boats and went over there. In fact, this is where Barnabas is from, which is going to play into the story. And so, the, But they were speaking to Jews because they didn't have the, the revelation with Cornelius and the Ethiopian eunuch yet. But there were some of them, and the implication here is that this follows the Peter situation. It looks as if they got word of what happened with Peter and Cornelius. And so some of them started to preach to Gentiles. They spoke to the Hellenists as well. In Antioch especially. And it says people from Cyprus and Cyrene. Cyrene is somewhere down here. Um, So, you know, off the map in Egypt there. People from Cyrene and Cyprus had made it to Antioch because Antioch is a major shipping town. We're going to talk about that in a moment. And they started to preach the gospel to whoever would hear. And Jews were coming to Christ. Gentiles were coming to Christ. This is amazing that God is doing a new work in a new way in a new city. In a city that you wouldn't expect. This is not a Jewish city. This is far away from Israel. Verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And so we see that this work now has gone to people of different races. People are coming to the Lord. And it says that the hand of the Lord was on them. And that is a wonderful statement because when you see the hand of the Lord, it always means a couple of things. It means His power and His presence. And so the hand of the Lord on them means God's power was with them. And His presence was with them. And when we're looking to see where God is working, when we're looking to see what God wants us to do, or what He's doing in our city, what He's doing around us, those are the two things we want to look for. Where is God's power being shown and where is His presence being shown? And so the hand of the Lord was with them. great number of people are coming to the Lord. Just as another aside for those that love just diving into the specific wording of the text... In this case, it's interesting because the word for Jesus, the the, the title Christ, is not used in this passage. The word used is Lord, right? You see it all through it. Now again, pulling all the pieces together for us in, in our Western mindset, Christ was a Jewish title that meant Messiah. To a Gentile audience, Messiah didn't mean much. And so here we see the word was used was Lord. That he is master of our lives. He is superintending our lives. He is sovereign over our lives. And just even the wording shows that the gospel was being tailored, not the truth not being lost, but the gospel was being tailored for the audience that was receiving it. And so the hand of the Lord, his power and his presence are on them. This was happening by God's power not our own power. And when we think of church growth, I've seen so many seminars on church growth. I've seen so many books on church growth, read some of them, been to to all kinds of teaching on it. But in the end, the only ones I'll listen to is the ones that say God grows His church by His power. Because if it's by tricks and gimmicks, that's not God's power and that's not going to be a healthy church. And in this case, God is growing His church by His power. And so at some of the seminars, if, if I hear, oh, if you would just do this, you could break the 200 barrier. If you just do this, you could be a 500 people. Get that jet for the Pastor Ron Foundation. It's not how it works. How it works is God asks us to be faithful and make disciples. Preach the Word and make disciples. And then leave the growth up to Him. Because there is something special about a church that faithfully makes disciples like you all do and sends people out to minister as missionaries and sends people out to plant new churches and, and that affect the regions wherever they go. And that is a mark of a healthy church because God is at work. A couple of places where we see the phrase hand of God, interesting. We see it with Elijah in the Old Testament. We see it with Elisha in the Old Testament, Ezra and we see John the Baptist, all said the hand of the Lord was on them. And we see it here. The hand of the Lord is doing a new group, a new work. And so we want to accept God's work, even if it breaks our paradigm, but if we're to embrace God's work, we've got to start looking for where God's look, working. Rather than defining it ourselves, look and notice where God is working. We're constantly trying to do this at Village, in elder meetings, in staff meetings. We're like, okay, what, what is God doing right now? What do we see God doing? What are we hearing from you all that the Holy Spirit's saying we should do? Because we don't want to be so tied into these are our five ministries and that's it, that we, we miss opportunities. And And I don't always know what groups are needed. I don't always know what ministries are needed. We're watching another change in demographics in Garden Grove. Might that provide more opportunities for ministry in the future? Might we be able to minister differently in our own community, in our own neighborhood, and reach more people? Those are questions we should be asking. I would love to say I have all the answers, but I want it to be the Holy Spirit leading, not me. And, and, And so the Holy Spirit's going to direct, and we need to be open for that and say, okay, where is God working? What is He doing? You know, if God miraculously, and it would take a miracle, gave us the property next door, then we need to start asking questions. What might God want to do with that? And and see, okay, God, what are You doing? And we'll be part of that. It's a a weird place to be for you planners. It's a scary place to be for you planners. But boy, is it a beautiful place to see as you see God's Spirit work. As you see... What might happen? You know, I've mentioned Living Nativity and we saw the results and the, 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 the way that that has come together. The people that have heard the gospel because of that. I know our, our outreach team is working on several ideas with teachers in the area and with first responders in the area and ways to bless our community that are going to be a little out of our comfort zone. A little bit of things we've never done before. But listening to God's people who are in prayer and thinking and and just passionate about these things, I'm convinced God wants us to try some of these things. It's going to be good. It's going to be amazing to see how God works. And so we want to see where God is working. The third point is, and this is the one I referenced when I talked about the Vegas trip, which isn't happening. We're joking, right? You all know we're joking. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The third point is: is we need to confirm God's work. We need to confirm God's work. It is never enough for me to stand up here and say, "This is what God wants Village to do." Always, always, we as a church family should go to Scripture and say, "Is this biblical?" We should ask for confirmation from the Holy Spirit. This is why we have an elder board and a plurality of elders, which I believe is a biblical way that churches should be structured. We want to confirm God's work. And in this case, Barnabas is the man. He's the man chosen to confirm, and he joins God's work in Antioch. But let's read twenty through 2 through 24. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So, so catch this. The church is exploding in Antioch, and if you remember where it was sorry i 'm making them work in the back antioch 's a ways away from jerusalem here 's galilee and, and and all the area where Jesus grew up and, and ministered and so this distance the word finally gets back from Antioch to Jerusalem. hey, something 's happening here. Jews are coming to Christ, Gentiles are coming to Christ. the church is exploding, and so the, the the first response appears to be from the church, that's great, but let's send somebody to check it out. And, and this sending Barnabas, especially the choice of Barnabas, this is very evidently not a criticism or not, let's go correct them and get them back in line. Remember Barnabas's nickname? Encourager, right? Son of encouragement. And, and so they send this man who is a godly man, and we're going to see his credentials in 24. A godly man, but also an encouraging man to go check things out. Because they as a church and as, as as leading the church have a responsibility to compare what is happening to God's Word. Is this from God? There are a lot of movements that we see in churches that are, are orchestrated by man that, that we can look at and say, that's not from God. And... and no, we're not going to go into a lot of details of that. That's a sidetrack. But we want to make sure what we're doing is from God. And so in 22, Church of Jerusalem hears about it. They send Barnabas to Antioch. Hey, go check it out. Now, he's a great choice too because remember who was doing some of the evangelizing in Antioch? Men from Cyprus? Where's Barnabas from? Cyprus? He probably knows some of the people that are helping start the church in Antioch. And so there's some affinity there. He would understand. And so Barnabas goes. 23, he gets there. That was a quick trip. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. So Barnabas shows up. He looks around and says, this is from God. This doesn't violate Scripture. God is at work. In fact, this is God's grace going out to his people. This is beautiful. And his admonition to them, it's not a criticism. He exhorted them. He encouraged them all. Keep it up. It's really what, if you could paraphrase that, keep it up. This is, this is from God. Don't stop. Be laser focused on this purpose. And then 24 we see his credentials. This is Barnabas. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Some of those descriptions were of the seven men that helped with the distribution of food to to some of the widows. In fact, Barnabas is the only person described in the book of Acts as a good man. And so he knows God. He, He is a man of faith, seeing God work in new situations. He has the Holy Spirit that can help him discern. And he says, keep it up. This is from God. And the result, end of 24, and a great many people were added to the Lord. A great many people were added to the Lord. And so the church heard about the work. They had noticed that God is working in Antioch. They had, they had then sent someone to confirm God's work. Is this from God? It's not just a blind, oh, let's go this way, let's go this way, let's go this way, but but is this from God? And Barnabas's report was yeah. God is doing an amazing work here. And so then point number four, he joined God's work. And for us, as we notice where God is working, as we confirm it's from God, then we join into where God is working instead of asking God to work where we want him to work. It's a paradigm shift that is so vital. And we see it here, verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look to Saul. And at first we're like, he left. He didn't join the work, he left. He left. But we'll get there as we go. Basically what's happening is Barnabas sees the church exploding. He's like, I need help. I need help. And so he goes to Tarsus to get Saul. Now, do you remember we left we left Saul a couple chapters ago where the church sent him from Jerusalem up to Tarsus to save his life. And he had just been converted. He's causing a stir because he won't be quiet about the gospel. The best news ever. And so he goes up to Tarsus and he's ministering up there probably and, and speaking the gospel to the villages around there. And we're talking probably about 10 years here between when he was sent away and now when he's retrieved, so to speak, by Barnabas. And for our map, Tarsus, so Barnabas is here in Antioch. Tarsus is here. Yeah, it's just a little walk. Okay, maybe it's a little longer because, yeah. Um, but he goes to Tarsus. The word here actually to look for him implies that Saul was out and about, and he had to be searched for. And and so Barnabas went, searched for Saul, found him, and in verse 26, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. Do you see why I say this represents joining God's work? I'm going to go get Saul. I need help, and we're going to spend a year here helping this church grow. And so he joined God's work. They taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Do you get chills? I read that and I'm like, oh, this is, this is the church growing. This is amazing to see. And so he goes and gets Saul. And, and just a, a side application note, I think Barnabas is a great example, and we're going to see this with Saul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, of always bringing someone else along. Always looking to develop someone else in ministry. Not ministering alone. Always having a partner. And so this is a great example of bringing a a partner in. And then they invest in this people for a year because this is a brand new church. Brand new believers. If it's the scattered believers, none of them have, have had much training. And so they are determined to give this church a solid footing and a foundation to get going. Interestingly enough, this is key to what God is doing strategically, because Antioch becomes the sending hub for all missions from here on out. it becomes some some argue it becomes the hub of the church, and it, it sort of shifts from Jerusalem to here. Jerusalem still has existence and, and still is, um, has the apostles, but it is definitely the hub of world missions, and all the missionary trips come out of Antioch now, and so this church. Because of the investment, becomes the church that is key to reaching the rest of the world, which is Acts one eight. Which is fulfill. and so we're seeing God. God is moving his chess pieces around, and he has Paul ready to go up there, and he brings Barnabas. He he opens the church up to ministry to a different people group, and they embrace it. And God is making sure we can meet here today. He is making sure Christianity is going to spread throughout the known world. And what an incredible opportunity. What an incredible story. In verse 26 there, it says they were first called Christians. And and it looks as if the ones calling them Christians weren't the church and weren't the Jews because the the, the Jews wouldn't have said they are of our Messiah because those that hadn't accepted the Messiah it looks as if these were the Gentiles, the outsiders that were there that started calling them Christians. And Christians literally means Christ people or little Christs. People belonging to Christ. People that are part of Christ. And, and so how this would have come about is people would have been looking at the church and were like, they're just like little Jesuses. They, they keep doing His work. They keep telling people about Him. Let's call them Christians. What an amazing title to be given! You're so much like Christ that we're going to call you Christ-like. We're going to call you little Christ's, and I I, I long for us to live up to that name. I, I long for us to live life in such a way that people would say you're you're just a little Christ. And we saw that in the 70s. Well, some of us saw that in the 70s with the, the Jesus people movement. And people were like, they're just Jesus people. I'm like, yeah. That's, that's what's happening here. They're just Jesus people. What a good description to have. In a book that has all kinds of titles for, for people of God, we've seen believers used as a title. The church, disciples, brothers, sisters, people of the way, saints followers of Christ. We're going to see the flock of God. And in the middle of all of it is, and this is where they started being called Christians. Again, this also is a testimony that this was a true work of God, right? Because the church was so following God that they were called His people. What a blessing that is. We go on to the rest of that, that passage and we see God working some more. And, and we see a shift in this next passage to where the baby church, the daughter church, now becomes helpful to the rest of the church. 27, now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And I know the map shows it going up. Remember, down is because Jerusalem's on a, in the mountains. So they come down in elevation, the mountains, to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And I love Dr. Luke here. This took place in the days of Claudius. By the way, this really happened is what he says there. And we know that from history. So the disciples determined every one of them, or every according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And so what you see here is the, the, this group from Jerusalem came and they're, they're teaching in Antioch. One of them has a prophecy from the Holy Spirit. There's going to be a great famine. The church, the baby church, now says, we can help. We can help with this. Let's take a collection. Let's help the church back in Jerusalem. Let's help the church in, in Judea. Let, let's be part of the church. And when we truly include people in the church... When we truly make people feel a part of church family, they become church family and participate in the responsibilities and the help of church family. And we see this here. They are, they are as much a part of a church as any other group. And they collected funds from whoever was able. And, and so this was a voluntary donation and they send it to Jerusalem to help their, their Jewish brothers, to help their Jewish sisters and I, I don't know if the church of jerusalem was humbled by receiving this but i think it's a testimony to how the church cares for each other how the church takes care of this church is doing well this church isn't so let's come together and these don't these aren't two churches they are one church they're helping each other do ministry helping each other get through some very difficult times now it's interesting in, in verse 30 just some of the details and they did so they collected the money they sent it to the elders by the hand of barnabas and saul that's probably of the events we see in galatians chapter one is probably this trip to jerusalem there's a whole lot of discussion about that but i think that's the best solution and so barnabas and saul are now so trusted that they are given this large sum of money and said take this back to jerusalem and they're taking it back, it says, to the elders. And so this is a little bit of a shift that we saw from Acts 6 where it was to, to the um, apostles and then to the deacons. In the 10 years that have gone by, it looks as if there's a little more structure in the church and they now have a group of elders and the elders were responsible for collecting the money and making sure it got to people in need. And they would sometimes use the deacons or use some of the other men to help them, but they brought them to the elders and laid it at their feet and said, Use this. Use this for the church. Now all of this, all of this in chapter 11 is showing us that God has done a new work in the church. That it wasn't just Peter with Cornelius. It wasn't just Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch. He has done a new work in the church and opened up the gospel to every human being. And we praise God that that's the truth. And so we see the church now accepting that. We see the church embracing that work of God. We're going to see in the rest of Acts the result of this chapter. As Antioch now, as I said, sends out missionaries and becomes the hub for missions work to the rest of the Gentiles. But then as we come to a a close on this passage, we want to continue to ask ourselves questions about our day and age. How can we learn from this? How can we see God's work and be part of it. And, and so we need to accept those four points. We need to accept God's work, even if it's out of our paradigm, if it's biblical. Second, we need to be looking, where's God working around me? What, what's God doing in Garden Grove? What's God doing on Borough? What's God doing at, at Village Bible Church? What's on people's hearts? And then we need to evaluate that with Scripture. We need to test that and examine that. And if it's from God, we need to join in even if it's something that we're not used to, even if it's something that we haven't done before. And so some questions that come out of this text today, one of them is, what new ministry might God want me to be part of? What new ministry might God want me to join? Because I I, I see God working there and I want to be part of that and I'm passionate about joining God's work. Another question would be, are there new groups of people around church around our neighborhood or our neighborhoods at home, our schools or our work? Are there new groups of people there that God might want me to reach out to? We live in Southern California and demographics are changing seemingly on a monthly basis. So how are we reaching new people coming into Orange County? How are we reaching the people already here? We need to to always be looking for this. You know, another question to ask is what might we do together outside of an official ministry? Sometimes I, I love official ministries and, and we have a lot of ministries that are essential to, to what God's doing at Village, but I love it even more when God's people just work on their own, um, not, not alone, but band together and do ministry together in their homes, in their neighborhoods. So what might we do together outside of official mem- ministry? Meeting needs without having to, to get permission Just say, oh, someone needs a meal or someone needs something and I just meet needs. If you have a neighbor that doesn't know Christ and you know that they're struggling, take some food from the food closet. Take them to them and and, and gift them with that. Or go to the grocery store and gift them with that. Maybe it's, it's a party or a barbecue or something where we invite our neighbors over and invite people from church. You've heard me mention that, but I've seen it work so well. But what might we do outside of official ministry? Just because the Holy Spirit's prompting. Am I partnering with other leaders? In the words of Yoda, always two there are. I'm not saying he's a great theologian. But I really like that for ministry. Do I have someone that's helping me in ministry? Someone I'm training up? Am I being trained by people? Am I partnering with other leaders like Paul and Barnabas? And finally, how supportive of other people's ministry am I? Or is it just about my ministry? Am I noticing what God is doing in women's ministry and their retreat coming up? And am I praying for that and supportive of that? Am I noticing what God is doing with Second Harvest? Am I noticing what God is doing with Awana and the kids that are hearing the gospel for the very first time in that program? And am I praying for them? This is part of noticing what God is doing and then being part of it in some way. How supportive of other people's ministry am I? And am I an obstacle to any ministry? Just some questions we get out of chapter 11 of Acts of how we take a historical chapter of what God is doing with the church, how He expanded the church, and take some of those principles to say how might He expand the church today? How might He continue to work? We want to move into a time of of celebrating the Lord's Supper. And this ties in so well to our text as we see the church blossoming and people of all places in life coming to the Lord. What was being preached? What was being preached at Antioch? What was being preached is that Jesus Christ came as Lord of our lives, and we are sinners, and we can't save ourselves. As sinners, we deserve death. We can't save ourselves. But Jesus Christ came and took the penalty for that sin on Himself. And He lived a perfect life, but then was brutally executed on the cross. Not for anything He had done, but for everything we've done. And He took that penalty on Himself and paid for it completely on the cross and with the, the empty tomb three days later. And our sins are forgiven. We are given eternal life. And the penalty of death has been paid. That's what they were preaching in Antioch. And that's what people were coming to Christ in droves. Because there is no other hope. There is no other message that makes sense in a dark, crazy, broken world. As it is now and as it was then. That's what we remember in the Lord's Supper. And so this is a table for those of you that have made the choice to become Christians, little Christ or followers of Christ. Because this is a reminder to us the bread of Christ hanging on the cross and His body that was willingly given in our place. The juice reminds us of His blood that was shed as payment for sin and so it represents forgiveness. It represents that those that follow Christ, their sins are completely taken care of and forgiven. And they don't have to deal with that guilt. They don't have to deal with that penalty because Christ has. That's what we come and remember this morning as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. So as we pass it out, please just hold the elements and then we'll eat together and reflect as we sing, as we play music, reflect on what God has done in your life and reflect on if we would be called little Jesuses, little little Christians and how we represent Christ well. Lord God, we thank you for salvation. We thank you for what you've given us. An undeserved gift of grace. Wiping away our sins. Wiping away the things we have done. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that follows you. That remembers what you've done for us well. And then joins into continuing your work for all of our days. Every moment we are here. Lord, may we be a, make a difference for you in this area of the world and to the rest of the world, God. In your precious name.